0: um let's see if it works all right well we are live on youtube which is cool and we will um get started so tonight we are going to work through um Galatians 5 I would say the rest of it we will not get through the rest of it I'm pretty sure because it's it's a very long not long as length but very lengthy as far as importance goes um the last part of Galatians 5 is the famous section of the fruit of the spirit so we'll spend a little bit of time on that um uh, maybe not the way that everybody else does the fruit of the spirit but I'll I'll kind of guide you through the way the chapter is constructed and kind of Paul's overall argument with the fruit of the spirit, especially as it's it's laid out for us in contrast with the works of the flesh. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, a very important and intriguing chapter in Galatians. So we will do that. Um, so let's let's pray and then we will study. So let's let's I'm going to record this on my phone. So let's pray and then we'll get to it. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are back together again around your word. And we pray that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit, that we might read these words of yours according to your holy will for us. That we might walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. That we might learn to trust in Jesus as our Savior and to live according to your will for us. So bless us with that spirit for wisdom that we might read these words and see our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so any, anybody have any questions from, that was not good. Let me try that again. Does anybody have any questions from last week or any other week that you've been wanting to ask? I should say a couple of you have emailed me and I haven't gotten back to you yet. I, I was actually traveling. Um, I just got back last night around 11 PM. So I'm a little behind on things. So I will get to your emails. I'm sorry about that. That's my fault. It's just been kind of a busy week, um, but glad to be back home. So I will get to those shortly, but you may have any other questions that, that I can answer. You're going to be available afterwards? Yes, I can definitely stay afterwards.
1: Okay, because my question has nothing to do with what we're studying here, so. okay, but it, it'd be a good after.
0: Okay, that sounds good. I can definitely stick around. Not a problem. All right, so if seeing none, we're going to read Galatians 5, 13 to 15. I think Linda's going to do that for us. So Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. Thank you very much. So very short little section, but a very powerful section and one that brings together what we talked about last week. And and, then that's going to lead us into the rest of our discussion this week. So right away, just so the overall idea of how do we live out our faith? Number one, that's the question number one. So how do we live out our faith?
2: Through love, serving one another.
0: Right. Through love, serving one another. I, that was kind of easy. It's right there for you, right? But, but this is the contrast he's making, is we live out our faith by love, which necessarily points outside of us, right? It points outside of us, okay? We'll, we'll do that even. We do not use our freedom in Christ to satisfy our own desires. Well, that one might be the wrong direction. Okay? We don't do that to satisfy our own desires. And this is, this is a, a such an essential teaching of the scriptures that we don't want to ever minimize, even as we want to emphasize um, God's soul work to save us. So, so the most important doctrine of the whole Bible Is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did for us sinners, and that his work on the cross saves us by grace through faith because of what he's done. That's the most important doctrine of the scripture, and that we want to emphasize that and teach that all the time. But that doesn't mean that then there is no thing for us to do in the Christian life. So the scriptures are also very clear that now that your sins are forgiven. And that forgiveness is given to you freely. The question then of, so then what do I do with this freedom? Now that I've been freed from sin, my sin has been removed from me. The penalty of sin has been removed from me. The fear of death has been removed from me. All because of the death and resurrection of Christ. That's great. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 8. There's no fear of death. There's no fear of sin. There's no fear of repercussions. So what do we do? And some people say, oh, great. That means we can sin as much as we want because we're freed from the fear of the punishment of sin, all that kind of stuff. We can just sin and God will forgive us anyway. And Paul says, no, no. You you can't be forgiven of your sin so that you sin more. That literally doesn't make any sense. Okay, And this is especially played out in Romans chapter 6, but in, in this in this incident in Galatians five, what he's saying is the, the reason you are called to to freedom, brothers, right, is is not an opportunity of the flesh to sin, but instead an opportunity to serve your neighbor in love. And this um, this then becomes really the idea of the Christian life is that. I've been freed from this self-centered, self-focused view of life where all I'm trying to do is please myself and, 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 and take care of myself and be focused on self. I've been set freed from that, that, in, that, that sin of loving self. I've been set freed from that through the death and resurrection of Christ so that now my life is actually the opportunity to love, to live in love. For my neighbor and and again it's so important that we get our arrows kind of going the right direction original sin and the life of the flesh those aren't the same thing but they kind of they end up being the same realm of reality they all point toward me they're all what what we say in, in lutheran theology in say okay curved in on the self okay so original sin teaches me to focus on me to love me to be all about me, and the only reason you guys exist is to make me happy, right, and that's kind of how our sinful flesh teaches us to see the world, is, is, is me, me, me centered, but Christ has set us free from that, okay, and Paul calls that, in this chapter, he calls this selfish view, the flesh, okay, this idea of living for self, um, not living for God, being even opposed to God. He calls that the flesh. Okay. And you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh, but instead we're going to live in love. And that means that our focus is no longer on the self, but it's on loving neighbor. So then the question of what I'm going to do today is not oriented toward the desires and the interest of self, but instead it's, it's oriented in the, the love of neighbor. Okay, the love of, of the others around us that God has given to us. So that, that's kind of the basic idea of what we're getting at. And we're going to unpack that as we keep going forward in Galatians 5. Now, does anybody have any, any questions on that?
1: Kevin, isn't that like a little bit of a playing on words? So like last week, we talked about the Jews with purification and law. And we're still saying, well, you still have to follow the law, but we're going to call it love. And right. instead good. of that, right,
0: that's right. So that's what he's going to deal with next is that, is he play is he pulling a fast one on him? Is he saying you're not under the law, good news. And then he says, oh no, here's another law you're under. Okay. That's the question. Is that actually what he's going to do? That's exactly right. And, and that's why at the end of the fruit of the spirit, he's actually going to say, now there's no law here. This isn't law. So he's actually going to say, I'm not giving you a new law. I'm actually. This these things are actually freedom, and you you want to still not be under a law. That's that's a very good point. So he's actually going to move us where he says this love of neighbor is actually not uh, being under the law. Okay, and that's we're gonna see how that plays out. Does that does that help at all, or did I miss what you were getting at? No, dude, you're right on. I. want to get it (laughs) yep yeah so so that's what we're going to look at is is how are we not just under a different law right that's exactly right so so if i don't answer that make make sure i do hold me to it because that's that's what we're driving toward in the fruit of the spirit okay um okay any other questions before we get to number two
2: I do. Since you popped the cork tonight on the idea of Lutheran terminology, I thought I would uh, maybe also give us another signpost to look at as we go. Um, I, I would like to, tonight, as we go through this, because this sounds to me like a pretty good articulation of what we would reckon the third use of the law. Um, and, and I would like to know sort of where in scripture our idea of third use, the, the sort of guidance use, or the, the Christians, or I've, heard, I've actually heard, uh, uh, who was it, Norman Nagel, somebody called it the gospel's use of the law. Yeah, Uh, which is kind of an interesting way to put it. And I would like to if we if if it is along our way to maybe talk about where that kind of idea or that concept is articulated in Scripture, specifically as it's distinct from the first use, which I think you've already sort of touched on just now, but I'd like to maybe point to that as we drive by it on the scenic route.
0: Yeah, okay, We'll we'll kind of keep that in mind. Um, The clear articulation of it is actually the argument. So that's kind of part of the, the question is kind of part of the answer and the answer is kind of part of the question. So we'll kind of, we'll kind of deal with that as we go forth. but that's, that's a good, that's a good point. So what, what Jeremy is alluding to is we've talked about this before um, that in, in Lutheran and, and not just Lutheran circles in other circles as well, uh, theologians talk about the law having three uses. Okay. Now, remember the law in this instance is, Anything in the scriptures that command us to do things or to avoid doing things. Okay. So the law is the part of scripture, and it's in the New Testament and Old Testament. It's all over where God says, It's my will that you live this way. Okay. That you live uh in such a way that you you do this, right? So so go to church, hear the word, whatever. These are laws, you have to do it, right? And um there's also laws and things you're not allowed to do. Don't murder, right? Don't steal. These are laws of things you aren't allowed to do. So there are some things in the law we're supposed to do. There's certain things the law we're not allowed to do, okay? So that's the law. And the- theologians like to say that, that law affects each hearer of the law. So every time a, a person hears that law, so they're not three different laws, they're three uses of the same law. So let's just take, um thou shalt not murder that's kind of a safe one because most people say i'm pretty good i never killed anyone so hopefully no murders among us if if so um give us that to your pastor not to me but um there so when you hear thou shalt not murder okay um that law can be used it will be will be used in three ways the first way that it is used is as a curb okay it, it makes you scared of doing it because of the fear of punishment. Because if you murder, you're you're not you're out of the kingdom of God. Murderers do not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, it's what it says in the Bible. If you're a murderer, you're out. Okay, and in, in society, it, the most obvious one is if you murder, you go to jail. So don't do that, right? You don't want You don't want to get thrown in jail or even the death sentence, right? that's that's the effect of the first use is when when a sinner hears the law the first use not not like chronologically but just what the first use we're going to talk about is that it can affect you as a curb it, it stops you from evil for fear of punishment okay the second use is as a mirror you say well i ain't never killed anyone that doesn't have anything to do with me and then jesus says yeah but if you ever if you ever hated your brother or even said anything mean to your brother you're, you're a murderer in your heart, right? You, you hate your brother. That's, that's like murdering. And you go, oh no. Oh, maybe I am maybe I am actually guilty of that. As a matter of fact, I'm a sinner. So the second use of the law is that it actually, it, it serves as a mirror to show us our sin, to say that you're a sinner, you're condemned as a sinner. The third use of the law, and this is kind of what Jeremy was talking about, is as a guide. So it says um, not just be scared of punishment or not just you're a sinner, but, but okay, how does God want me to live? Well, the guide is he doesn't want me to murder, but instead he wants me to help my, my neighbor in, all his, in his physical life, to help him in his, in his body and in this physical life. So it actually teaches me a positive way how to live. And, and so the issue is the law is used in these three ways. We don't control the ways that the law is used. The Holy Spirit is in charge of that. But the question then is, can we actually intend the law as a third use? Is that actually a valid approach to saying, I'm now teaching this bit of law with the intention of you hearing it as third use? That's, that's kind of the debate. And that's what Jeremy's talking about is some people will say, well, this third use then is kind of a gospel-y use, right? That's how you hear the, the law in light of the gospel. Because because Christ has saved you, now you want to do what God wants you to do, and that's the third use. You say, yeah, I'm excited about learning how to live according to God's will, and I'm looking forward to, to learning that, and that's the third use of the law.
2: Well, and conversely, some people say, well, there is no such thing as a third use. It's all just first use again, because even in your regenerate life, you're still... I don't know. That, that actually, that kind of thinking is, is the so, reason that prompted so me to it's ask. Usually,
0: it's usually the answer is there isn't a third use, it's all second use. So what happens is it doesn't matter how you intend it. It just always condemns us as sinners. No matter what you want. You're like, oh, no, I, I, you're forgiven. Don't worry about it. Now let's just talk about how to live. And no matter what you say, a sinner will still hear it as, oh, but I haven't done that. I'm a sinner. So what happens is some people say, even though you intend this, you always end up doing this. You just always end up at second use. No matter, even even when you try to do first use, you end up in second use. Some people think there's really just one use of the law and it's just collapsed into that. So that's kind of the issue is, is this is Rob's question from earlier and, and Jeremy's question now kind of combined is that, is Paul simply giving a different law? Is he invoking the third use of the law? What is he doing here? Okay. And that's, those are all good questions. And that's kind of the point is we're going to go along and we're going to look at how this plays out. And, and, and one of the things we're going to look at is the language that Paul uses and the contrast he draws as he goes through this little, little discussion. Okay. So I feel like I've thoroughly confused everyone at this point. Is that good? Everyone good? All right. Everyone's thoroughly confused. Ready for number two then. So number two, if he says, Here's what you're supposed to do. The whole law is fulfilled in one word You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, who gets to define love? God does. Yeah. God does. Now, I the reason I ask this this way is because this is the fundamental discussion in our world right now. Who gets to define love when we are told to love our neighbor? And this is so important for us as Christians to remember this, is that when, when the Bible teaches us to love our neighbor, it does not mean whatever someone else decides love is, we're now bound to that. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean because the Bible says love your neighbor, then whatever anyone says, this is an instance of love, then we're now bound to that as Christians. No, when it says love your neighbor as yourself, what it's actually talking about is love, meaning the the one who commanded us to love our neighbor is also the one who defines both both love and neighbor, okay? So this is then what Paul is getting at is the fulfillment of the law is in this word, love your neighbor as yourself, okay? Now, how do you define love and how do you find neighbor? And everybody in this Bible study knows inherently that if you want to get hard answer, the answers are hard questions. you always go to John. okay? So let's go to First John, the, God, the book of First John all the way towards the end of the New Testament, way towards the end of the New Testament. It's a little book called First John or One John in your Bible. First John, so you're going to go on or all through Paul's letters, you're going to find fun people like Timothy and Titus and then you're going to, the Hebrews and, and Peter's writings, and then you get into First John. First John chapter 4. And you're actually going to have John discussing the exact same thing. Okay, the exact same thing that Paul is talking about, that those who are freed from the fear of sin and death and punishment are now set free in order to love, in order to love your neighbor. Okay. And this is how John's going to talk about it. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through, I usually end up around 11 ish or so, but we can go through 12 maybe. So, 1 John chapter 4, it says this Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or or sacrifice for our sins. Now listen to this, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another okay so that that passage again first john chapter 4 verses 7 through 11 that really helps us remember whenever we read the word love that that's the love we're talking about that it's it's not our love for god it's not the world's definition of love the love that we're talking about in loving neighbor as self is really the sacrificial love of God in Jesus Christ, okay? So when we talk about loving, this love actually finds its definition in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when I love my neighbor, I love them in that love, okay? That's not only a definition, like that teaches me how to love an example. It's not just to find out, but it's also actually, and this is what we're going to find out as we move forward. It's literally the love that we have to give. It's this love. It's not rooted here. It's rooted here. It's rooted in Christ. So the very love that I have to love my neighbor with, is actually the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because remember what Paul's getting at. You have been set free from the things that you have because of your sinful nature. You've been set free from sin. You've been set free from being under the law, right? From being under the law, being crushed by the law. You've been set freed from that. Now you are free to love and that love comes from the one who sets you free from the things that were killing you, from the law, from your sin, okay? So that's really what Paul is getting the Galatians to consider is that when our sins are removed from us, which is really what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is just the removal of our sins from us. Well, then what do we do? We just don't have sin anymore? No, You, you actually don't just live in emptiness. You actually live then in love. You're freed from sin to love. And the love with which you love is the love of God. Okay. Questions or thoughts?
2: Uh, you also had mentioned who the neighbor is. And I wonder if we also are given guidance on that from the cross.
0: Okay, good. So, so then the same thing is, that's very good. Thank you for that. So obviously if you have hard questions, you go to John for the answer. So um, it, this, the easiest one is this. John three sixteen teaches us who our neighbor is for God so loved the world, okay? And so what we find out throughout scripture is that this sending of Jesus was actually God loving every sinner. And this then is how the church goes forth with love is that we love all the people that God loves, okay? And when Jesus taught his disciples to, to make the disciples of all nations, Then all of a sudden what happens is there isn't a person that isn't included in this love of God in Christ. So now when we love our neighbor, that is any person, every person that God gives to us in our life in in a way that we can love them. So we no longer segment humanity and say, well, you deserve love. You don't. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to love you. We don't do that anymore every person you encounter is a person for whom Christ has died and you love them accordingly. That's the, that's the life of the Christian. Okay. Now specifically that is manifested in the church, but that also includes all humanity. Kevin. Yes. I had an underlying thought since we started this discussion Uh about, can you
1: separate love from service to one another in other words if a non-christian serves another
0: it's not a reflection of the love of christ why not well because it's not say it's a muslim that's serving one another okay um and i was thinking if that's the case could it be that you could tell that it's an that's what I'm trying to figure out. How did, how would you? So th- this is a fun question. And, and this is actually something I was talking to somebody about yesterday or two days ago. Maybe. I don't know what day it is. Um, so, and I'm not being silly when I answer it this way. I actually believe there's only one love. His name is Jesus. So there isn't a love that you can have that is outside of that love. And it's still be love. Even people who don't believe in Jesus, who aren't in Christ, still love because of that love. Just like there's only one cre- creator, whether you believe in him or not, you're still a creature of that creator. Right? And this is a, this is a fundamental issue in our, in our world right now. A lot of people believe or think that if they just decide to not believe in God, he just stops existing. Well, it's not that easy. You don't have the power to get rid of God. So, in the same way, your unbelief doesn't mean that there's love outside of Christ that you can somehow tap into. So, what we actually see is when a non believer loves someone else, you actually see in that reality two things going on. From the point of view of the individual doing the loving, they are actually sinning because they're they are doing something outside of faith in Christ, okay? So for that individual before God, even though it looks like a good work to us, it's actually a sin in God's eyes because it's not done out of faith, okay? And the scriptures teach this. Paul teaches this. So anything done outside of faith is a sin. So in the, in the one aspect... Um, You have, you said this, I'm just using your idea A Muslim who, who does something for a neighbor. And we say, oh, well, that's a, that's a loving deed. Right. And okay. It looks like it to us, but in God's sight, that's a sin because it's done out of unbelief. Okay. Now, the other thing, and I want you guys to think about this, and I want you to hear this is that God is still blessing the neighbor through that action. right now now listen to this god as the loving creator is still loving his creation through his creation so even do we look when up? that creation happens to be a sinner or an unbeliever okay now we are we are doing this on zoom we are looking at computers we are using technology all those kinds of things I don't know that every person involved in my setup here in my room was actually a Christian to, to, to create all this and to run it all and that kind of stuff, right? There's a good chance my computer was made by a non-believer, okay? So do we look at all those gifts or all those services through the eyes of Jesus and, and just look at them as, as love? Yes, and we look at them as the love of God active in our world. Does that make sense? yes okay now that doesn't mean the person doing it is all of a sudden a christian but god works through non-believers to bless this world he does it all the time right right i can't guarantee you the person who grew your food was a christian and yet that love of God for his creation work through that person and all the people involved to answer your prayer of give us this day, our daily bread. And so we say love of God in Christ for a fallen world inactive in that reality. So what I see is when a non-believer is doing an act that we consider good, the reason it's good is because that's actually the love of God working through that person to bless bless the other people bless the creation and yet the act itself could possibly be a sin before God because the person doing it isn't a believer does that make sense because what Christ did when he died on the cross is he actually restored creation to its creator not just individual sinners but he actually restored creation to its creator in a cosmic way and what this means is is that now We've talked about this before. Grace means that God is favorably disposed, favorably disposed toward His creation because of the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, grace means the favor of God because of Jesus. Jeremy, favor yes, de propter Christum. Okay the favor of God because of Jesus. And and this is then how we see God being a gracious God, even to those outside of the church. Does that make sense? Susan, did that help a little bit maybe? Maybe not? You talk about how the rain falls on the believers and the non-believers, the same thing. Same thing, same thing. This is God's blessing is fallen creation. Simply out of love. Simply out of love. And and what, what happens to the Christian then is we are actually active in that love. We're freed from being against it. And we're now freed to be active in that love. To live in concert with it. Instead of being against it, we're in concert with it. We're in agreement with it, right? Does that make sense? And that's what Paul's going to talk about, um, the contrast between the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit. Life of the flesh is opposed to God and opposed to one another. Life of the spirit is we're living in the love of God because of Christ, and that flows out of love for one another. Okay? Everybody, everybody clear on that? Does that, that make sense?
1: Kevin, it makes me think about when the disciples came back to Jesus and said that those that there were people doing things, miracles and such that weren't part of them,
0: yeah, and Jesus said, "If they're not against us, they're for us, right? I mean, and he who he who heals in my name cannot then curse my name later." So, um, yeah, and, and then one of the one of the um, tendencies or, or or temptations for the church is always to try to domesticate this, to try to make this something we can control and to say, you know, this happens under our purview. And so we kind of got a a handle on who's supposed to do what, how this all works. But the amazing thing about the love of God is it just, it just destroys all boundaries. You just, God loves just without regard to our restrictions or our rules, he just loves. And, And that's why, you know, it starts by understanding the sacrifice of the very son of God, the sins of the world, that's what love is. And when we see that as love, then all these other things are kind of like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. That God loves. And, and the blessing of faith is that you're actually included in that, not just in a kind of because you're creation, but actually you're included as an individual. God knows your name. You're his child and that blessing then exists for all of
3: eternity for you. Kevin, how do we, how do we, uh, look at a so-called hero? I mean, we, you could, can you, can you have a hero that lays down his life, uh, for someone he doesn't even know, uh, is that, uh, where does that encompass the, um, the love,
1: uh, uh so you could have a non-Christian, I suppose, do what, what makes him do that
0: or what, you know, I, this is, I mean, this is a big debate in philosophy. Um, if anybody's familiar with Frederick Nietzsche, this is actually his question was, is that even a good thing? I mean, if someone lays down their life for somebody else, is it even a good thing? I mean, it's just, it's just dumb, right? That was, that's kind of the, the, when you take God out of the equation, you know, this is why would that be a good thing? Why would someone dying necessarily be, that'd be a bad decision, who knows? And. And that's why when you talk about ethics and all these kind of things, you, you gotta kind of keep going back to say, wait a minute, but but the reality is that there that God does define for us what's good and bad. God does define what love is, not just in theological realities, but in general realities. And so when we say, all of us would say, uh, there's a soldier, you know, kind of the stereotypical soldier uh jumps on a grenade and saves his his platoon right and we say that's good that's that's generically good that's altruistic it's a it's a good deed the sacrifice of self for the team that kind of stuff and we say what well, where is that idea of good why is that good and the answer is it's good because it it is a it is a reflection of the love of god for sinners in christ and and we know that self sacrificial love is good and and this is I mean, just watch this. This is what's changing in our world right now is that self-sacrifice is not good. Instead, self-promotion is good. And that's, the church needs to be saying, um, excuse me, that's not love.
2: Or, or self-preservation. Or another. self-preservation,
0: whatever you want to call it. But self is good. Love of self is now the highest good. and And the problem is they're using our word love and using it in a way that it's actually the opposite of what we mean when we say love. Because love flows from God in Christ and then out toward neighbor, not, not back into self, okay? And so um, we can say, yeah, that hero did something um, good, maybe good for his country, maybe good for society, maybe good for his neighbor. And we say, well, the reason that's good is because it's, it's part of this love of God in Christ. It's that kind of love, right? self-sacrifice love love for a neighbor all that kind of stuff that's a reflection of god's love in christ for the world okay good question all right let's read let's read the rest of the this big chunk so let's read 16 through 26 which is really the rest of the chapter but i know how to break it up because it's kind of two sections that go together so someone could read for us galatians 5 16 through 26
2: How about the EHV version? We haven't haven't done EHV. Uh, Through, I'm sorry, 26, you said?
0: Yeah, so the end of the chapter.
2: All right. What I am saying is this. Walk by the spirit and you will not carry out what the sinful flesh desires. For the sinful flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful flesh. In fact, these two continually oppose one another so that you do not continue to do these things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the control of the law. Now, the works of the sinful flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, complete lack of restraint, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, orgies, and things similar to these. I warn you, just as I also warned you before, that those who continue to do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the sinful flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also walk in step with it let us not become conceited provoking one another and envying one another
0: okay thank you very much so like i said a very a very popular passage um hobby lobby has made a lot of money off of this passage so that's good i suppose um, but you probably know what version was that. That was the EHV, right? Correct. English heritage version. Is that what that is?
2: Uh, that the new one. New? Yeah. The new one that came out That's like new. a couple of years ago. Yeah. I think, I think some Lutherans were involved in it actually.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting translation. Um, they did, they did some interesting translation moves, but we don't have a lot of time to talk about that. So yeah, it's, it's it is an interesting translation. Um, as you'll notice, it's fairly close to the ESV. So, but yeah, they did, they did some interesting things with that. So, all right, number three. We are just cruising right along. So, what is the focus of the flesh? Pleasure. Pleasure. Whose pleasure?
1: Our pleasure.
0: My pleasure. Right. So, this is um, this is just again. This is going back to the same contrast we do before. Is that the focus of the flesh is on me? How do I please me? How do I satisfy me? How do I love me more? Um, how do I get what I want? How do I preserve myself? How do I live? And when I live, I define that as me living um, all these kind of things, all the me, 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 me. That's the flesh. That's the, our sinful flesh that Paul's talking about. And let's see, how do I, yeah, this is such a big section. So that's that's actually opposed to the thing of the spirit and i just i just want to make sure we're getting this real quickly is that is that spirit teaches you to not live for self okay just as christ came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so the spirit teaches us not to live for ourselves but to live in love for others because we have been loved by a selfless act of love itself, which is God in Christ saving us. Okay. So let's, let's keep going then. Number four, what things does the law address? So let's look at the list. Okay. So look at verse 18. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Okay. Now the works of the flesh, which are the things that are under the law, are evident. Okay. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. That's the first group of three. Okay. Now this list is going to be divided like this. It's three, two, eight, two. Okay. So the first three are kind of these sexual sins. Okay. And you got this Um, sexual immorality impurity and sensuality there's a lot of different ways to translate those words all kind of the same idea and then you have these these two things that are kind of um, divine issues with god spiritual issues so you have idolatry and sorcery okay and then you've got eight things that are really an explanation of verse 15 if you bite and devour one another, watch out you are not consumed by one another. So these next eight are sins that are really against the, each other, okay? So listen to this list. You got enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, okay? And then you've got these other two uh, kind of back to these, the way that, that sinners live, um, especially in the society that Paul's writing to, you have drunkenness and orgies. Okay. So it's kind of going back to the first three in some ways, but it's just this general uh, kind of lawless living. And, and there's um, there's just a lot in these words. We don't have time to go through them all. Um, if, you, if you took out these eight if you kind of move these out of the list, these seven are actually quite common in other lists in the ancient world, as far as things that are seen as being bad. Okay. Not always in this order, not always the same words, but the same ideas are quite present. These eight in the middle uh, that have to do with the community, these are more of a unique list. And it really seems to be an explication of how the Galatians either within the church or in the community of Galatia are kind of fighting each other um, and causing strife among themselves as a result of living according to the flesh. Okay. And I, I just want you to one thing that I always think whenever you read these lists in Paul, there's another list like this in, in Colossians is just kind of read them out loud and think to yourself, which one's kind of awful and which one's kind of good? And you read the list of the things of the flesh, and you kind of just go, "Ugh, I know that, that's just not good, right?" And then you read the fruit of the spirit, and you kind of go, "Well, who's going to argue with those things? Those are all pretty good, right?" And and that's kind of in a, in a very crass way what Paul's saying is uh, the things of the flesh not good, things of the spirit good, right? Now, Christ has set you free from the things of the flesh. He set you free from them. And by the way, those things are what keep putting you under the law. And if you put yourself under the law, you're trapped back in this list again because you're back in the flesh. Now, the Spirit has set you free from that list, and He's moved you over to a different list. And instead of you know, sexual morality and drunkenness and orgies and, and hate and enmity and strife and jealousy, all that kind of stuff. Now we got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? And so he's saying, seriously? What, why would you go back to awful when you've got good? Why? You've been set free from being enslaved to this list of awfulness. You don't have to do that anymore. You're free. Yay, we're free. So then don't do that anymore. Go over here and do love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, and gentle, faith, kindness, love, and control, Right, and And that's really his argument, is, is simply don't go back to the garbage. You've been set free from it. Don't go back. There's something better for you. You're a child of God. These sins are beneath you. They're literally beneath you. You're better than that. Because of who you are in Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. He's got something better for you. Okay? And I just want to see, I know we get we get caught up in the particular sometimes. I just want to see in an overall kind of macro way to look at this chapter. That's really what Paul's getting at. And I'll tell you, when you read Paul's writings from Romans through Philemon, that's really his take on sanctification. The Christian life is actually this. You've been set free. From the things that cause death, from the things that separate you from God, from the things that kill you, even set freed from that. Don't return to them anymore. There's something better for you. Instead of death, you get resurrection. Instead of sin, you get peace. Right? Instead of hatred, you get love. Don't go back. Live in love. Live in the spirit. Okay. So that's really what he's getting at. And Rob, that's really then the answer to the question of, is he actually writing another law? And the answer is no, he's not. He's actually saying, um, and we'll get to this at the end of the, of the fruit of the spirit. He actually says, there's not a law over here governing these things. You're not loving because you have to love. You're loving because you're free. You're you don't have peace because you're under the law of living at peace. No, you're, you're free. To be at peace so you're not living your life in christ looking over your shoulder going am i am i living up to this am i am i am i doing it right no you're freed from that christ has done it right for you christ has lived the perfect life for you christ has loved perfectly christ has borne all the fruit of the spirit perfectly so now you get to live in that you get to live in that grace already accomplished, already done, given to you freely, and you're set free from sinning and loving self, you're set free to now love and serve like Jesus, right? Yeah, exactly. So modern day sins are, are kind of um, comparable to sins of ancient times. Yeah. They just didn't have the internet. So we're, we're kind of, we have more access to them all it seems. So yeah, that was a a comment in the chat. That's exactly right. And that's what always strikes me when I read this list is like, he could write this today. Oh, we wouldn't have to change it in the words. It it would all fit. And, and that's um, unfortunately that's, that's true. Right. That's unfortunately that's true. Okay. Does any do anybody have any questions on that, that we're trying to kind of on an overall idea of what we're getting at here?
2: i kind of have one just like brief one um we've talked about paul in in galatians and paul you know through his other epistles and various epistles uh how if in any way does this relate to christ in the gospel of john saying you know this new command i give you as love one another as i have loved you etc is there a difference i mean clearly this is just an exposition i guess on that but i also wonder is there a difference before and after the cross to to what christ is telling his disciples at that time versus what we have in the epistles
0: that's a good question, and a lot of people have, have written on this. What is the new command in John and also in First John, and how does that do, have to do with the setting of the free of the law and those kind of things? And I, and I think this is where I also go back to Rob's question, which is, is he giving you a new law? No, he's not giving you a new law, but he's actually transforming the law from being something we are under to something that we look to to learn God's will. And this is kind of Jeremy's point at the beginning with the third use of the law is then you say, um, now that I'm freed from being under the law, I can actually look at the law and say, Oh, that's actually a good thing to teach me how to live because my flesh, my sinful flesh will always teach me to live incorrectly. I need something to teach me how to live correctly. And, and, for those of us who are in Christ, the law of God, meaning what he tells us what to do and not to do, it's not something that now crushes us, but instead it's something that instructs us in a good way. It says, now, this is how you live as a child of God. This is, this is how a child of God lives. And so in John 13, when he says, a new commandment I give to you, what he's saying is that when, when you live as my disciples— as those who have been loved by God, this is how you live that out. You live it out in love. And they're kind of going, well, that's easy. We can love. And then he goes, yeah, watch this, right? And then he says, this is love and he's crucified. And they go, oh, I wasn't thinking that kind of love. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of thinking they would be nice to each other, love. And he's like, no, no, no. Love means dying, right? Greater love has none than this that he lays down his life for his friends, okay? And so what happens is, is when God tells us things, whether it be love or, or service or whatever, it, it's always so much more than we ever imagined. And, and it's always finds its fulfillment in the very death and resurrection of Christ itself. And we say from that, okay, okay, now I understand what God means when he says, have no other gods before me. He says, there's no other name given under heaven by which man must be saved. Don't call any other God. There's, th- this is the one that saves you, right? Now, you've been baptized into the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't use that name as a curse word or, or swear by it or, or swear by some other name or satanic arch or something. That's just, why would you do that? You've got the name that saves. Call upon it. Pray, praise, give, thanks, right? This is good stuff. Remember to Sabbath day, the whole, keeping holy. Well, what what? What do you mean? We don't have to go to church on the Sabbath. No, we don't. But here's what we do get to do. We get to hear the word of God. We get to gladly hear the word of God. We get to hold it sacred, right? We can say, oh, wait, wait. This is is the place where God's word is read, where my pastor preaches to me. Oh, this is Bible study, where I get to spend time in the word. What do we do? We treasure that. This is exactly, you guys are keeping the third commandment right now. You logged on to, to hear the word of God even though this goofy guy is here, you, you logged on to hear the word of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is saying, treasure the word, hold it sacred, gladly hear and learn it, right? See, it's not a law like, oh, I have to. No, it's, it's it, we. the Spirit is teaching us that this is good. This is beneficial. Hey, Timothy,
3: Pastor Roth, how are you? Give your hand. Good, how are you? Good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, As you're talking, uh, I mean, first going back about, you know, the, the focusing on the self versus focusing on, um, you know, on, on other, which is, is the freedom that Christ has given us. Um, You know, the people, it is not love in our society is love of me putting demand on you and you fulfilling that demand. Um, And so therefore you can only love me when you accept me for who I am. Uh, but really, that, that that's, that's not the point of love. Love is me focusing on you, uh, not me focusing on you focusing on me. Um, but then going to the whole, you know, if, if you want to talk about the new command, um, you know, it's not that it, it's a new law, but I do think that the disciples, you know, pre pre death and resurrection of christ viewed it differently than post-resurrection in christ because the the disciples were willing to give up their life fighting you know and when jesus said no give up your life giving they were oh heck no and they were out of there and yet after the death and resurrection they understood the gospel and they were all then willing to give their life uh, for the sake of, of sharing the good news. And it's I mean it's just transformational yeah. on on not focusing on me but focusing on you.
0: Yeah, that's exactly really really what's well said. And um the the we can never underestimate nor under explain the or over explain I mean the importance of the actual death and resurrection of Jesus to define all these things to explain all these things and to bring them all to fulfillment. So when Jesus says stuff, the disciples never understand. I mean it's just like they're always wrong. They're just wrong. But then those are the same disciples that end up writing down the words of Holy Scripture for us because after the death and resurrection of Christ, they're like, "Oh, well, well okay that's what it means now now i get it right but it's it it takes the death and resurrection of christ to actually be the thing that defines this okay and actually explains it all so that's exactly right so they hear him say love one another you know there's a new command, They're kind of like whatever but then they see it and you're actually right you have the transforming um you know standing with a sword and then um actually dying by the sword which is kind of a weird thing so yeah that's exactly right Okay, good. Now, I just want to show you this. I know we're running out of time. We'll go to the fruit of the spirit in a little more detail next time. But just because uh, I showed you the the three, two, two with the eight in the middle thing, I want you to just look at the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five twenty two and twenty three, and what you actually hear have instead of the chaos of this strange three, two, eight, two, or some people do three, two, four, four, two because I don't want to do an eight. It's mean, kind of weird and it's chaotic, but then when it comes to the fruit of the spirit, you have three, three, three. And this is just the way that, that Paul even writes the text. You kind of go from this chaotic list that are kind of weird and, and, and kind of hard to figure out and kind of not fun to read. And then you kind of get to this very orderly, ordered, fun to read list of nine for the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control and just even the the rhetorical presentation of the list is paul actually teaching us that we've been set free from the chaos of this list of awful sins and we've been set free to receive by God's grace, the fruit of the spirit and to live in them. Okay. And obviously the most important fruit of the spirit then, and we'll get to this next week a little bit, but it starts with the fruit being love. So, so now we're back to um, flesh living for self ending up in sin, which ends up in punishment and death. And actually, what does Paul say? We didn't get to this part yet, but he says, "If you live in these things, verse twenty, yeah, twenty-one, if you live in that list, you're out of the kingdom of God." Okay. Now that is called law. As a matter of fact, for each of you <clears throat> who hear that law, you say, "Uh-oh, I've done those things." I mean, you might say, well, you know, I don't go to orgies. I don't walk around drunkenness. It's like, yeah, have you ever ever had any strife? Jealousy? Ever had a fit of rage? You're out. No kingdom of God. That's the crushing reality of the law. And listen to this. But Christ has set you free. Through his death and his resurrection, in his perfect life, he has said, no longer are you defined as one who has been envious or had a fit of rage or done this or drunkenness or sexual immorality. That doesn't define you. What defines you now is the very death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you are free from all the things that you were carrying around on your conscience, all the list of sins that you have done, all the things that anybody could walk up and say you're guilty of. Jesus says, no, you're not. You're free, you're forgiven. Those sins are put on me. I put them on a cross. They're crucified. You are free. Listen to what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me right? That's the setting free. In the life, I now live in the body, in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, now we're in the spirit. Now it's the love, joy, peace. All because of Jesus. That's what Paul is showing us. And that, my friends, that is true freedom. Jesus for you, sins forgiven, you're free let's pray and then if you have any questions anybody has any questions I'm, I'm willing to stick around for a little bit but it's eight o'clock let's let's go ahead and, and pray and then we'll go let's pray lord god heavenly father as it is a season of Lent, and as you read this text we come before you must admit that we're guilty in thought word and deed. we're guilty and according to your law and righteous judgment we deserve your punishment both now and even forever. But we pray, we trust, and we hope in your mercy because of our savior, Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in hope and love that you have forgiven us. And so we thank you, dear father, that you see us in your son's righteousness, Earned for us on the cross in his perfect life, given to us through his resurrection, given to us in your holy word and the sacraments, given to us even by our faith. So that now we are your children. So teach us, Lord, to live, to live lives of freedom and love and joy. And now this night, Lord, let us sleep in your peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. you. Night. Thank you. Have a good evening.
3: Night, everybody. God bless you for your teaching
1: and.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. And
1: your inspiration and your delving.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks.
3: Hey, Pastor Roth. How are you? good how are you good it's good to see you good to see you i didn't have kids tonight so yeah
1: cool
3: marie and the kids are out of town and i went
0: oh wait yeah great. <laughs> i can join I you can how are things going there in kansas
3: they're going i don't know if you heard i uh accepted a call so i'm in the uh,
0: i heard you had one but i didn't know if you'd accepted it
3: yep I'm wrapping up ministry here and getting ready to move on where are you going Center uh, Church in Ottawa, Kansas. Okay. Yep. Okay. Good. I, uh,
0: when do you start there?
3: So the 18th of April is my last Sunday here, and then May 2nd will be my installation.
0: Okay. Good. Excellent. Well, we'll pray for you and in, in your congregations. Congregation in time. Thank you. I you now have two calls that you have to deal
3: with. Two calls, okay. yes that fun time of having two calls sure we'll call it that yeah. <laughs> fun <laughs> Yeah,
0: fun is fun as a word that's <laughs> exciting but there you
3: go so. also terrifying is another yep. word to describe it
0: Terrifying as a word uh-huh all those things good
3: um so real quick do you know on because you have the greek new testament memorized right <laughs> The one of the things I love about Paul's uh, listing of the fruits of the spirit in English, at least, is, you know, one syllable, one syllable, one syllable, two syllables, two syllables, two syllables, three syllables, three syllables, three syllables. Yeah, it's
0: it's better in the English than it is in the Greek, to be honest. I, I assumed it was. <laughs> um but it makes it easier to memorize. It does because you have agape and then kara and then irene are the first three. So there's already three, two, three there. And then you get these crazy long ones. So it does get longer. But then remember, um, faithfulness for us in the Greek is just pistis. So right. That's true. It just kind of r- ruins the whole rhythm. But yeah, in the English, this is one of the things the English <laughs> translation is kind of like, this is cool. Right? You could preach it is on cool. it. Right? Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah.
0: Just don't tell them that it's kind of not
3: yeah overly valid but that's okay the the well english is the true true word of god still just not the original
0: text (laughs) the syllables of the words might not be as reliable as but yeah i mean it's kind of a fun i do think there as i as i said i do think there is rhetorical intent in the way he lists
3: them certainly i mean you're right though because you read that list of I never thought of it that way before. You read that list of sins, and it is kind of chaotic. It's all yeah. over the place. It's Like, ugh. yeah, yeah. And I never thought of it in the, you know, this is chaos.
0: Yep, it is chaos. And and we didn't get to it. Might do it next week. But but even looking at the days of creation, um, you have, you know, three, three. They're they're lined up, right? It's very ordered. Um, and then you have the idea of chaos. Not that we're into chaos and creation but but the the concept of cre- chaos and creation so yeah i mean there's just a lot there i think that is in paul's at least in the back of his mind as he does this
3: oh, i'm sure he's he was a genius i would yeah. love to have just half of his rhetorical prowess
0: no kidding um it doesn't hurt when you're inspired by the spirit but
3: well i mean there's that <laughs> yeah but some of it was his i think so. like john i wish i had john i love metaphor i wish i had john's <laughs> Yeah, ability, ability to how to use it yep absolutely all
0: right brian you were waiting yep. i know you have a question uh
1: yeah I, I, kind of a wide open one but um cessationism i mean just a few a few scriptures to kind of start on when you're when you're talking about cessationism and where where i um, i can sit here and read articles but when you're talking to someone and it's like well let's go to the word let you know what i'm saying
0: so exactly what aspect do you want to talk through or work through
1: because
0: <laughs> that's kind of a uh, wide open
1: Right. I, I was like, I had to ask him, I was like, wait a minute, this is kind of wide open here. Um, I, I, I guess just the, uh, specifically, like the idea of prophets and apostles. Okay. Let, let's um, just do
0: that. So when you look at Ephesians chapter four, that's kind of the text of the of the progression within the church, right? So Ephesians 4 is where you get the apostles and prophets and all that kind of stuff, right? So Ephesians 4, 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, right? Is that kind of what you're referring to? And yeah. so what we would say is that there is a there is a progression in that we really don't have apostles and prophets and evangelists anymore, and then the shepherds and teachers are kind of one office. Okay, so what we have now in this progression is we have shepherds and teachers, which shepherds is just the word pastor, just pastors and teachers. So the pastor is someone who teaches. Um, so that's how we read the list and what Paul is actually getting at is not an idea of secessionism or um, anything like that. What he's saying is that, that God provides for his church through people. And he calls those people into certain offices by which his church is served with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So it's not by accident that there were apostles. This is actually God's provision for his church. It isn't an accident that there were prophets. That's actually the way God provides for his church. And you, what you'll notice is that those, those two particularly then, the first two are really going to be the way that we refer to the Old and New Testament or New and Old Testament or switching to this place, apostles and prophets. And the next one on the list is evangelists, which is literally gospel proclaimers or gospel guys, right? gospel preachers and again that's typically in church history those are the guys who wrote the gospels but but even if you see it as kind of missionaries or paul would be an evangelist okay so someone who actually um he was an apostle but he was also an evangelist someone who was known for preaching the gospel and and timothy timothy is is an evangelist do the work of an evangelist okay so you hear this this yeah timothy um you kind of hear this um This idea that these are actually offices through which God works in his church. And what's happened is since the scriptures became written and then really put in book form and given to the church is that now we just have the last, the last office, which is pastor teacher. And what the pastor teacher does then is he actually instructs the church with the words of the apostles, prophets, and evangelists okay so the job of the pastor is to teach the apostles and prophets and evangelists right and that's the bible not the lutheran study bible necessarily just the bible and so so that's what we would say is that is that what paul is getting in in ephesians 4 and you can go ahead and read the whole chapter is that there, there's one spirit one hope you know one faith one all that kind of there's one one baptism one faith and god provides for his one church through these people these people that he has called into these offices and this is the way it works so so he provided for israel yeah man in the wilderness exodus 16 That's kind of fun but but more importantly who did he provide for israel he provided prophets moses to write the torah right joshua to write whatever he wrote joshua and maybe part of deuteronomy you know whoever wrote judges probably samuel You know, he he provided these. He provided David to write for us the Psalms. He provided Isaiah to write Isaiah. He provided, right? He provided for the church ways that we receive his word and in receiving his word, we receive him, okay? And this then is the theology of the word is that the church is actually the place where the word is active, okay and that word is active not kind of in a in a metaphysical just kind of floating around no it's active in the very enfleshment of men who are called to preach it who are called to administer the sacraments and we say oh what how does the church continue well the the church is gathered around word and sacraments the life of the church is the death and resurrection of christ given in word and sacraments it's like well how do we get the word and sacraments we call timothy Right. And Pastor Roth shows up and we, we're like, well, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm the guy here to give you word and sacrament. That's what I'm doing here. Right. That's all I'm doing here. We're like, <laughs> well, what about the color of the carpet? And he goes, uh, let's let's review. Word and sacrament guy. Okay. <laughs> and they say, Well, well, how can you? And he say, Because this is the way God is providing for his church. This is the way God has always provided for his church, is through men that speak the word of God and administer his holy sacraments. Okay? So that's how we would handle that. And that really gets then into the office, of the, the doctrine of the office of the holy ministry, where in, in Matthew 16 and in John 20, so Matthew 16 and John 20, Jesus actually gives to his apostles the ability to forgive sins. Not only the ability to, but actually the duty. This is actually who you are. You are the one that when you say, your sins are forgiven because of jesus they are actually forgiven in heaven just as it is on earth okay that's in matthew sixteen. also matthew 18 so matthew 16 18 and then john 20 it's usually matthew 16 and john 20 is what people refer to but it is also recapitulating matthew 18 so does that help brian yes or did i totally miss
1: no that that's good um can we take a look at, it, at another one
0: yeah absolutely
1: another scripture as well i um I think it's uh is it first Corinthians 13,
3: is that okay. it? That's the love, love chapter. Yeah, that's love. Yeah. Is the,
1: is that the one that they
3: I don't know there's if there's that's like works of the spirit, like miracles and, whatnot, the, and tongues. Yeah, and, the yeah, the gifts of the spirit, that that's
0: what I mean. So that's that's 12 and 14. Okay. So, the love chapter is smack dab in the middle, but it's it's actually the fruit, of the, the the gifts of the spirit, prophecy and tongues, all that kind of stuff is twelve and fourteen. Okay, it kind of wraps okay. around, um, which makes it a little hard to talk about. But, um, so if you look at 14.1 pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy for one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God for one understands him and and so the question is maybe what you're asking or maybe what they're getting at is why don't we have those gifts today where did they go were they actually even gifts or was this just paul talking in hyperbole or maybe as an example like you know just if there were this kind of thing and then use it this way and you know know, maybe never even existed how do we feel about that what do we do with that and and the answer is is again it's i i really am very comfortable saying this is that These gifts are really tied to the giving of the Holy Spirit. And when we say the giving of the Holy Spirit, now we mean this. We mean the scriptures. Okay? So the giving of the Spirit is now tied to the very word of God itself. And the word of God itself, when you say the word of God, you want to immediately train yourself to think two things. First of all, the word of God is the person Jesus Christ. He is the word of God in flesh, okay? And then secondly, the word of God are those texts, we call them books now, but the texts that God inspired to testify the truth about that in fleshed word of God, Jesus Christ, okay? And that's what we call the Bible, the second idea of the word of God, what we call the Bible. But, but I want you to think this, Brian, is, is that the word of God is first and foremost the person of Jesus Christ, the very word made flesh according to the gospel of John. And then the scriptures are those inspired books that tell us the very truth about him. Okay. And that's really what the Bible is. So then when we say um, the gifts of the spirit, we're going to say, well, those, that's tied to the word of God. The Spirit is always tied to the Word. This, this is another shortcut for you in, in all theology. If you get this right, you're going to get a lot of things right that people get wrong. Whenever you hear Holy Spirit, think Word. Just think Word right away. Holy Spirit, Word. Okay? And, and what's going to happen when you do that is you just say, where do I look for the work of the Holy Spirit? I look for it in the Word. word. Okay? First of all, whenever we see Word, we're first of all going to talk about Jesus Christ. So the first thing the Holy Spirit is going to do is he's going to point me to Jesus Christ. He's going to say, look at Jesus, trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, right? And Jesus will even say, I'm going to give you my spirit. So you can trust in me. So you can understand my words. You can remember my word, right? So the second thing we're gonna do with the Holy Spirit is we're gonna talk about Jesus and we're also gonna look for him working through the actual Holy Scriptures. So when the word is spoken, when the word is read, when the word is accompanying the water of holy baptism, when the word is accompanying the bread and wine, saying this is my, my body, this is my blood, we're gonna say, ooh, Holy Spirit's active there, right? That's the Holy Spirit. So what we have in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is There's evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit, but the the scriptures had not quite been finished being written yet, okay? So you had this manifestation of the spirit that was helping the church kind of get along and and had these these ideas of prophecies where people were um, kind of given this wisdom to interpret the Old Testament in a Christological way. And they would kind of stand up and say, okay, you know, like Paul taught us to read it this way. And and they'd say, yeah, that's a Holy Spirit inspired inspiration, right? That's the way that, the Holy spirit would, would teach us to read the Holy scriptures. And, and then you had these, these guys that sometimes it was miraculous. Sometimes it wasn't, but they could proclaim the gospel in other tongues. We have this in Acts chapter two, where all of a sudden the apostles are given this ability to, to speak in other languages. And they're like, what is going on? We hear that we hear the, the very in actual word of a God, human language, right? Human actual right. human language. And, and they say, what's going on? We, we're speaking broken English over here and the apostles are actually preaching to us in this crazy language, right? What's They're Jews, what are they doing, right? And so you actually have, historically speaking, the Holy Spirit inspiring people in the early church to proclaim Christ in a way that wasn't natural. It wasn't a natural reading of the text. They were actually, whoa, we've never read it like this before. We've never read the old testament like this before, but now, now that we see it in Christ, we're reading it according to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now there seemed to be a little, a little problem in Corinth where people were kind of like, ooh, that looks like that's pretty cool. I'm gonna stand up and read that way. Right. And people are like, uh, no. What are you doing? Like, well, I want the attention. And I know. Like, and then people are like going, they're like, see, I'm speaking in tongues. We're like, uh, no, let's interpret that. Anybody here interpret that? Like, no, it just sounds like crazy talk. It's like, blah, 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 blah. They're like, well, okay, if there's no one here to interpret that, even if you are speaking in a tongue, that doesn't do anybody any good. Like, oh, wow, well, that's my prayer language. they are like, okay, that's between you and God, you want to blah, 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 all day long. We don't care. But that doesn't benefit the church. It doesn't benefit the church. See, the church is benefited by someone teaching and preaching in such a way that the word of God points us to the word of God.
3: Well, and Paul even says that doesn't benefit even your own mind.
0: Right. That actually doesn't even benefit you. Because well, it's not yeah. getting you to...
3: It's not edifying you in the word. Right. It's not getting you to Christ.
0: And we say, that's the Holy Spirit. You eagerly desire that gift. The Spirit would teach you... in everything we do word of god person of jesus holy scriptures does that make sense brian yes it does and so so now what we say is we're going to look for the gift of the holy spirit by meditating on the scriptures by by going to where the scripture is being proclaimed by your pastor where you're receiving the sacraments from your pastor we say that's the gift of the spirit that's what that's what we want to eagerly desire right according to paul eagerly desire that Okay, and that's where we look. We don't look anywhere else. We don't look anywhere for the Holy Spirit. We just look for the Holy Spirit in the Word.
3: You mind if I jump in too, real quick, Pastor? Um, and in Scripture, because I hear a lot of people talking about this too. In Scripture, you know, you look at the miracles, and the miracles always is exactly as as Dr. Ambrose said. They always point us to Christ. Um, and people act like you know, if you don't do if you don't do miracles, then you're how can you be a Christian? Because that's that's part of having the spirit you don't have the spirit if you can't do miracles and yet you know john chapter 6 the people kept looking to the miracles and jesus said you don't get it right it's not about the miracles